from Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. Oh my goodness, but do we have a show for you tonight. I am your host, George Cedarquist, and welcome to Opera Box Score. Wherever you are, however you're listening, thanks for joining us. We are the only show in America where we treat opera like a sport. No one else articulates their passion for this art form like we do. We talk about opera singers, opera productions, opera repertoire, opera trivia, all with the mania of sports fans. And we are the only show in America where you get to have your say live on the air. No one else is live like us. You have a question for us? Give us a call. You think we're picking on somebody? Give us a call. You think we're awesome? Definitely give us a call. The number is 847-866-WNUR. It's 847-866-9687. Tonight's live opera performances in America include Alban Berg's Lulu at the Metropolitan Opera. And if you're at the show, give us a real-time update on what's going down. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Tonight's sports include the Bears at the San Diego Chargers. We're going to keep you updated on that score right now. Chargers ahead at the end of the first 7-zip. Filling in for Tobias tonight is our special guest this week, Oliver Camacho. He's a tenor. He runs an art song collective. He co-hosts an opera podcast. He's a foodie. He even went to Northwestern. And tonight, he's breaking down the micro-opera scene right here in Chicago. That's right. All those opera companies that operate on a shoestring budget, some of which even manage to do good work. He's going to talk us through it. I noticed that last week featured openings of both Alban Berg's operas, Lulu at the Met, and Vatsek at Lyric Opera of Chicago. So, what's with all the interest in his work? Is this just coincidence? Is it a fad? Or is it something more? Is it, dare I say, only the tip of the iceberg? Plus, (laughs) don't miss the stunning Giovanna Jacques with our unique opera quiz and of course our infamous TKO segment where two opera singers face off in a steel cage death mash. It's all live. No edits, no filters. Kickoff is next right after these messages. Keep it locked right here, right now on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago and Opera Box Score. everybody thank you again so much for joining us here on the show i have a question you do yeah so if they're at lulu how are they supposed to be listening to the show right now well they need they (laughs) They need to figure it out right they They could be sitting in the tweet seats and they could have one ear on their streaming uh wnur and one ear on the on the show this is i'm actually (laughs) sending it to them telepathically (laughs) (laughs) You're saying it to them telepathically? Yeah. Wow. Well, this is possible. Oliver Camacho, thank you so much for being here tonight. Thanks for having me. 
This is great, man. I cannot tell you how excited we are to have you here. You sound so excited. Uh, we are, exactly. And um, we are ready to uh, hit you up with the first um, the first part of our segment. Let me, uh, let me get it going here in one second, and uh, we're going to be right back to do it. Here we go. Opera Class, Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Let's go inside the huddle. It has been a long time, actually, since I've seen you, Oliver. Uh, we've never met. That's how we, long it's been. Yeah, <laughs> we've met uh, virtually. I think we had a long email back and forth back when you first moved to Chicago. So Yeah, years ago. And, and you wanted to like direct one of my shows. <laughs> <laughs> You've met now. Yeah. I, and you ha- I mean you had or have uh, a company, right? At that time. Yeah, it's hard to say what I have right now. I mean, I started a company called The Opera Company and uh, I can go into it, but I want to bore everybody. Um, at any rate, in 2010 around that time, we were hot and we had lots of activity and uh, I was producing lots of work. And then um, I, I got discouraged, and uh, I shouldn't have quit, but I needed to focus on finances, and I'm not good with those things. And so it's kind of stuff is on the back burner right now. Right on. And of course, you're back here at Northwestern, where you went to school. Oh, it's so pretty over here now with it's this gorgeous. sexy new building, and I feel a little bit cheated. Why didn't they do this like in 1993? You know, <laughs> you know what, Oliver DePaul? I I lived in the worst dorm at DePaul, and then the year I graduated. Literally, they decided, oh, we're going to make it the nicest storm. This so place I is, understand. is really, really sexy right now. And it's gorgeous. I'm, I'm thinking about just putting on some short shorts and a beanie and licking a big lollipop and pretending like I'm, you know, a kid again so that I could uh, reapply. I mean, doesn't the, the news... That's what people do, right? I, I, I don't know, <laughs> Oliver. I want to say no. Put books in a belt and hang it over yeah, my... Yeah, let's not do that. Here, so. I mean, the, the new school of music that they've built kind of reminds me of the Death Star. I mean, it's it's not a yeah. sphere, I suppose, but it's like all glass, and the thing is absolutely enormous. And it's the coolest thing, right? It's way cooler than, like, you know, the uh, the Rebel the Rebel Alliance stuff, you know? Um, and so what are you working on right now? What am I working on right now? Yeah. Looking for a job. Uh, I'm the, I left the restaurant industry after 25 years, and now I'm, like, fully committing myself to arts and arts administration, uh, I have a couple of groups that I have my uh, f- my fingers in. That sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of pies that I have my thumbs in. I don't know. There's some expression that I'm not getting correct here. A but couple <laughs> pots of honey that you're dappling in? <laughs> uh, there's an organization called Leaderstuba, uh, which is founded by one of my closest friends, Eugenia Chang, who is a mathematician and pianist. Also, and let's mention that Eugenia Chang was just recently just with Stephen Colbert, Colbert talking show, about yeah. her book. Oh, um, anyway, so which was really cool. It's a salon in the Fine Arts Building uh, downtown Chicago that um, puts on free art song performances, almost like jamming style or like karaoke style, like Lidaroki. Uh She'll play uh, just about anything if any singer wants to come and sing a song. And we do that uh, this Friday coming up at six o'clock. And it usually goes until very late. And it's a nice way to, you know, listen to other singers and to hear repertoire sort of in the environment that it was meant to be heard in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's also a group called Vox 3 Collective, uh, which was founded by some Roosevelt University graduates. And I'm on the board of directors there. And I'm also on their 
like programming committee. And uh, there's my podcast, Opera Now. Absolutely. I am a huge fan. Aw, shucks. I haven't been listening for that long. I, I don't know why I only just discovered podcasts. Well, we have 243 episodes, so I'm get not... started. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to two. Yay! Two of the 243. And now, how did how did that come about, you know, in 30 seconds? Well, I lucked out. Uh, the, the host and producer, Michael Rice, uh, and I are very good friends. And he started that, like, in 2006 or 2007. And I ended up being one of the first panelists and uh, I'm not that good uh, as a panelist, but, um, you know, I think I fill the role of being like the gay guy, you know, the token, the token uh, Hispanic gay guy. So fills a lot of quotas. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But, I mean, the, the show is fantastic and I, I cannot promote it enough. It's as you say, it's been going forever. Uh, and it is just that perfect mix of of the irreverent and the educational. Thanks. I want to get a couple, you know, quick takes from you here. Um, and what about Javon? We haven't even said hi to her yet. Hi, Javon. It's fine. I'm used to it. George and I have a really weird relationship. He he loves me. He just won't admit it. Okay, it's because yeah, that's what he says back to you right now. So. It's because you're in a different mic. He can't look at you. Whatever. Right Is that George, right? It's yeah, fine. exactly. It's too distracting. You'll you'll get your moment in the spotlight, Javonna. Oh, oh my goodness. So I need it now, George. You're so pushy. Uh, no, no, no. Oliver's the guest. He gets to Aww, go first. Thanks. Um, but I want to get some of your, your quick takes on the opera season so far. I mean, we're what? We're three months into it, if you say September 1st is the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for your money, in your opinion, what has been one of the biggest duds or the most disappointing parts of the season so far? Wow. Um, well, I listened to your first episode, and uh, I was at Lucia, Lucio Silla. Uh, on opening night of Chicago Fringe and of Lyric. I chose Chicago Opera Theater. And I won't say it was a total dud because there were some really great singers uh, in that show. Uh, But I was kind of disappointed in the staging of it. And this is a rant that I go on all the time on my own podcast, but just about how stage directors are so desperate to make things relatable to the audience that they do things in a contemporary way and so that the audience understands and like in modern dress and whatnot and you know we more, just talked about that last week uh, how funny yeah and more like natural movement and um yeah i mean they i think they think that will make it more like i said relatable to the audience and i think that's absolutely false because the music has filled with so much artifice and if you don't respect the artifice if you don't fill out the artifice and give you know, beauty and fluff and ornaments where they're needed, it just doesn't, there's a big disconnect, you know? And uh, the opposite of that is I just saw Votsek, and we're going to talk about that mm-hmm. soon. Right. And uh, here is a show here at the Lyric, at David McVicker production, where it seems like the director was really taking a cue from the score. He has to. I mean, and of course, it's, you know, closer to us in time, and the story is maybe easier to dramatize. But, you know, it was just filled with so much richness, richness of detail, because the score has it, obviously. But I think that Baroque music, early classical music, opera seria has all that detail, too. But you just have to figure out what that detail is trying to say and how to illustrate that on stage. And Lucio Silla falls flat uh, on that account. So. Let's stay with Chicago Opera Theater. And um, they've just... Never going to get hired there. Uh, yeah, I know. We're <laughs> digging our own graves. Um, I would literally... Make it noted that I've said nothing. <laughs> CFT? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they've just announced 
today, as a matter of fact, that in 2017, they're going to produce a new opera by Stuart Copeland, who's the drummer for the police. Uh, this is a company whose audiences have been shrinking. I mean, that's that's a fact. That's a statistic. So what's your gut take? Uh, you know, what does the future hold for this company? Well, I have to say that they've had some hits and misses since uh, the new director came on board, Andreas Mitisek. I thought that the swimming pool Orfeo was brilliant. And I thought the second half of their double bill, the um, clever one, the Shostakovich, was so stunningly beautiful, especially because it was cast with an amazing uh, local soprano, Emily Beerson, who just killed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the other stuff I think is very experimental and you know is really trying to go more for the theater part of Chicago Opera Theater and less maybe about opera as we might know it. And I have to say that there are people, young people especially, who want to experience opera that are curious about it and might be attracted to Chicago Opera Theater's marketing. And then they show up and they see this bizarro show that has no memorable tunes, no romance, and none of the like luxe stuff that we expect when we go to the opera. Instead, it's like austere and very like reggae theater. And like the singing is not always the most beautiful type of singing. It's good singing for what it is, but it's not the type of singing that makes you feel like amazement at the wonder at the human voice. You know, it's instead like, wow, that woman can really sing weird intervals, you know? And uh, I think that, you know, that's what Chicago with you is trying to do. That's their mission right now. And I respect them for that. Uh, But as far as like a, you know, a random non-opera composer getting a shot having having his opera produced, I think it's not fair because there are plenty of actual composers who are working in this field who are trying desperately to get their stuff produced even in a workshop environment, you know, and are going to school and have degrees in this and stuff like that. And then some, because he's a celebrity, you know, he's going to get a shot. And yes, it'll attract a very, very small segment of the audience of the police who are curious about this guy. I mean, what I think is that audience the ben- is actually pretty darn yeah. big. <laughs> what is the Venn diagram, though, of the people that are interested in opera and are interested in this drummer, you know, that would go Fair see, enough. you know. It's, yeah. it's a lot fewer than the people who are interested in sports and opera. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I am so glad that you are here tonight. We got tons of time with Oliver. You're going to definitely want to stick around for this next segment. Oliver and I go head to head in the opera pop quiz Giovanna is going to moderate it for okay. us did your son write the questions this time because no was, oh. no that no. was a one-time Poop. thing as a punishment for me for letting Tobias cheat and my son Ben he he totally took to you to school right, so. Giovanna we, he did it's fine I'm over it we talked about it at the cast party we'll, we're uh, good we'll, tr- we'll try and try and leave it alone keep it here on 89.3 FM WNUR You're listening to Opera Box Score with George, Tobias, and Giovanna. Pop quiz. Oh, boy. And thank you so much for joining us again. Opera Box Score. It's time for Pop Quiz. Giovanna, what do you got for us this week? This week's theme is Rossini. Yeah, bravo. <laughs> okay, who's ready? Well, I, we're, we're both ready, and here's how it's going to work this week. Because he, he's our guest, I'm going to let Oliver go Aww. first on every question. So nice. And if he gets it right, he gets a point. Okay. If he gets it wrong, then I get a turn. All right. So you get a second chance at the same question. Only if you get it All wrong. Right. I feel like I see what that is. that's okay. kind of weird, but okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, okay, question one. Oliver, are you ready? Mm-hmm. I can't really see you because of the oh, angle right. of this I'll microphone. Turn, I'll turn this so, way. Okay. okay. 
What was Rossini's first professional opera written at the age of 18? Uh, Note, I said... Il Cambiale Matrimonio. Holy moly, that's amazing. Okay, good for you. Thanks. Two, Rossini... Is it still me? Yeah. Okay. Right, George? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, if he gets it right, I have nothing to say. Uh, Yeah, okay. But good job, Oliver. I'm glad you got that right. Yeah, you should eat an almond. (laughs) (laughs) Rossini's Il Barbiere di Siviglia was originally called what? Wow. I don't know the answer to that question. I should know the answer. Come on, George. Uh, It was originally called... uh, I can give you a hint if you uh, like. The the Return of... um, um, No. uh, Bartolo. (laughs) No. But I can give you a hint. Do you guys want a hint or do you want the answer? Yeah, yeah. It is the name of one of the female characters. Rosina? No. Uh, Marcellina? No. One of the female characters? Well, not necessarily in this. Opera. Oh, okay. Barbarina's not in it. No. Yeah. Um, it starts with an A. <laughs> Where do you get this yeah. stuff, um, anyway? I get it on Rosini's website. <laughs> you know. <laughs> His well, Twitter page. You, you tell him from me that his website <laughs> yeah. is out of date. Okay, it is Alma Viva. Alma Viva. That is what Il Barbiera okay. di Sibiria was that originally called. Yeah, that's the name of the Count Alma Viva, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whoopsies! <laughs> and, okay. Number three. How many wives did Rossini have? Hmm. I'm going to say two. You're right, Oliver. Yeah. Isabella Colbron and then somebody else. Olympe Pellissier. Okay. Ooh, French. Look at your who, French accent. Who, well, I hope so. Jeez. <laughs> lived there long enough. Um, who nursed him when he was sick Ooh. into his death? Aww. Sweet Olymp. Nursed him like he was still breastfeeding when he was no, like 60? No, or? nursed him like uh, took care of him. Uh. <laughs> nice try. Four. In what city did Rossini die? And I can give you the date if you'd like. What city? I don't need the date. Um, it would be either Paris is that your final answer? No, I feel like he was doing a lot of French music at the end. So either Paris or Pesaro. You have to choose one. Mm. I'll, I'll hand it over to George. Uh, well, Pesaro, of course. No, he died in Paris. He yes. was born in Pesaro in 1868, by the way. This yeah, is an easy I mean, I was going to say, Rossini, his dates are always much later than I think. Yeah. I always yeah. think of him as being like an 18th century composer, but he's really, he's really not. Yeah. No. He just quit early, that's all. Like, yeah, he was done at 37. Quitter. He was like, bye, I'm done. That's exactly <laughs> how he said it. Drop the mic. Yeah. <laughs> Drop <out>. the quill. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, which is the easiest one. How do you spell Rossini's first name? Giacchino. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. G-I-A-C-C-H-I-N-O. No. Oh, too many Cs? Yeah, too many. I- not enough vowels. G I A G I G I no Jokino. Uh huh. Yeah. G I O C. Oh, there's I'm missing an O after the A, right? Joaquino. Oh, G I O Joaquino. Joaquino. Yeah. G I O A C C C. This is really helpful. There's actually only one C. One C. Okay. C-H-I-O-N-S. So, for all of you who are very confused wondering what we're talking about, his name is spelled G-I-O-A-C-H-I-N-O. Giacchino Rossini. Brava. Thank you so much for that. You're so welcome. Oliver, you win. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I wish we had a prize for you. You do. Um, This is one of uh, George's kids' 
um, Halloween candy. Oh, you stole his Halloween um, candy. So George will give you a crunch bar on behalf of his children's Halloween candy. You have to take a video of candy. me eating it and show it to your kid. I feel like that's candy. cruel. Coming up next, it's the meat and potatoes of our show. It's called Chalk Talk. Oliver is going to kick it off for us. You definitely don't want to miss that. Stick around. WNUR 89.3 FM. You're listening to Opera Box Score. so much chalk talk is the name of the segment as i say it's the meat and potatoes of the show it's when we really get into the nitty-gritty and uh our guest tonight oliver camacho he is gonna talk us through this one oliver set it up for us and we're gonna knock it down go ahead (laughs) question is how much time do i have so i've just 10 seconds i've been thinking a lot about the local opera scene here in chicago and i've said this on math and black's podcast doing the work which you should all listen to and I've said it on my own show, but it's definitely a conversation that we can keep having until somebody really digs into this. There are so many of these little companies uh, of various levels, some performing in churches, some in bars, some who have you know, figured out the whole thing to get a theater and to get their not-for-profit organization, and some who have orchestras, you know, some who specialize in very niche things. And it's just a lot. Um, and I think that we should all get together as you know, a local community and figure out a calendar for all of us. So we all put our money into the hosting fees. We get one person or one organization to host it and create a website. You know, I know Opera Underground, COTS is doing something like this right now. But like the vocal music in Chicago, and I would also like to include any kind of art song recitals, even presented by, you know, CSO or, or Ravinia Festival, and even choral music, because I do think that we are cannibalizing each other's audiences. I think that there is an audience for vocal music specifically in Chicago. And they will go see, you know, a orchestra leader concert with Matthias Gurna. And they would also go see Chicago Fringe Opera's Britain show, you know. And there needs to be a place where somebody coming to Chicago for the first time, or even, you know, a resident who really loves this type of music, can go and say, okay, I'm going to go to this website and I'm going to see all the things that are on the menu, you know. And then we could also not conflict with each other as a result because we'll have each other's calendars. And this whole thing you brought up on your first episode with Lyric and Fringe and COT being on the same day, I think was a huge mistake. It was a dreadful mistake. I mean, and I understood why Chicago Fringe Opera, why we messed up. You know, and because we're a little we're a little pawn out there and, and who are we to to try and steal the thunder from anyone else? What I don't understand is why Lyric and COT got their wires crossed and weren't able to to figure that out. I'm sure that they knew. There's no way that that COT uh, did not know Lyric's season ahead of time because they've been kind of flying by the seat of their pants. I think they're releasing their season six months at a time. So they definitely had time to figure it out. I think Lyric announced their season a full year or maybe like one month, like 11 months uh, into, you know, in advance of what they're, when they're going to show. So, yeah, that was uh, calculated by COT. And I think it was a mistake because I was at the opening night and the, the house was really, really small. So 
and rightfully so, you know. Um, but I also wanted to talk a little bit about, I don't know how much time is left. Go ahead. You're good. I, I wanted to talk about all of these little opera companies and what really is their mission. What are they trying to do? What are they trying to offer the community that's not being offered by something else? And I really, um, for anybody listening, and I don't want to badmouth any of these companies, but I really want you to think about what it sounds like to be in a bar or to be in a church and to have food service happening and uh, or being in a cavernous space that doesn't have enough, that has too many seats and your audience is very small and your marketing wasn't good. And what does that feel like as an audience member to be listening to a program with maybe 20 other people at most and you have like five singers up there trying to sing whatever, uh, La Boheme, you know, and uh, it just, it feels awkward for the audience, you know, like. Oliver, I'm so happy that you're bringing this up. Oh, yeah? I am so happy that you're bringing this up. I feel like I've been fighting a, a one-sided battle mm-hmm. in Chicago with this, saying what you're saying and just being like, oh, well, whatever, Chibana, you don't, you don't, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, doesn't matter. Like, we're doing what we're doing, and that's great. Yeah, I mean, there's this one company, I won't say their name, but they recently did a very famous French opera with a gypsy in it. And uh, (laughs) I won't say what company or what opera, though. Um, Lots of gypsies out there. And if you look at their promotional materials, there is a video of of their performance, and there are people clearly, like, sitting at a table, like, eating. And, like, you cannot help but look at these promotional materials and look at the person who's eating and not pay attention to the actual performance. And wonder happening. what they're eating, <laughs> which is my I also, question. I also have to say really quick before we run out of time that if you are starting your own little company and creating promotional materials, do yourself a huge favor. Spend money on lights and spend money on a real photographer. I don't want to see pictures from your iPhone. I don't want to see bad shots of the tops of people's heads. Get somebody in there with a camera, with a real camera who knows how to use it. Because... Photos are the best way of showing your work. Video is awful, and it's hard to capture live performance anyway. So get quality photos. And in order to get quality photos, you need, you need quality lights, and you probably need quality costumes. It's expensive for everybody to do this, you know? And I know that I, I really respect these small companies who just, just want to perform and create these opportunities, but it dilutes the water. It muddies the water, actually. And it makes people get exposure to things that aren't quality. And then it might turn them off of the whole thing, you know? I mean, yes, it is expensive and yes, it isn't. It, it's free to those who can afford it and it's very expensive to those who can't, you know? And like, if you can get the money together, um, then it can look great. I mean, I think when we did The Turn of the Screw... The costumes were great. And man, they cost a lot of money and, and it really showed. <laughs> I, I want to go I back know, to the, um, the, the question about opera in a bar. Uh I have never bought into that premise. Uh, We had to have this conversation at Chicago Fringe Opera where some of the company were like, yes, we should do our operas in a bar and that will be really edgy and cool and and site-specific. And I said, It dilutes the sauce. Well, it does. I said, Not the water. The water's already diluted. (laughs) Let's be clear about what site-specific means. What that means is there is a dramaturgical connection between the material that's being performed and the location. 
So do drinking songs in a bar, you know, do the scene, the tavern scene from Tales of Hoffman, you know, yes, or do whatever drinking scenes are in so many shows. But I don't think you do a whole program based on drinking scenes, unfortunately. And this is the problem is that you could do part of the Tales of Hoffman, which takes place in a bar. You could do, you know, an act, act two of La Boheme, say, Mm. which takes Kate the takes place at the Café Mamouz. And this is not an original idea. Obviously, it's been now done the world over. But that whole, like, let's drink while we're watching the show and it's, like, in this bar. I mean, as you said at at the top, Oliver, people just don't get all of the acoustical problems, the technical problems, which ultimately get in the way of the experience and the enjoyment and the beauty of the art form. It distracts, actually. You know, because then people, I think... Well, the, the music, first of all, I have to say this because like I, I met Giovanna a month ago, whatever. And I've, I've, I always do this. I say things that, that I put my foot in my mouth, you know, but I saw you guys. I saw your turn of the screw and I liked it very much. But there was also to me, there was a problem with turn of the screw because of the proximity of the audience to the singers. And I know a lot of the people in the cast. I know they're all fantastic singers. They're really, really high quality singers. But um, there's something to be said about being that close to somebody using their full, you know, operatic techniques. Just challenging for the audience, you know. I'm also talking about this, you know, thinking about the audience, thinking about what their perception is, what their experience is, you know. Obviously, you guys were doing some really interesting and something that was very creative and like, you know, it was it made it, it was fun for the audience to some extent. But there were some moments where I was like, wow, that's. That's really close to me. <laughs> it's like when you're in the audience and like somebody thinks they're funny, they're going to come come into the audience and like sing part of their serenade to you. And you're just like, oh, my God, please stop. I didn't sign up for this, you know. <laughs> now, of course, there's other places to do micro opera besides yeah. a bar, you know, a, a church, for example. But uh, what are the problems there? Space and sound. Ringy, I mean, ringy, ringy, yeah. ringy, ringy. Exactly. Echo, Text. echo, echo. Exactly. Echo. I, okay. I don't want to say which company, but I, I've seen lots of shows in in churches Comedy in church is really tough because the space does not, it's not a funny space. You know? And the timing just doesn't work. It's always like a second or two off. Yeah. And then mm. you're wondering if you were funny or not, yep. which I usually don't have to worry about because I'm hilarious. Right, George? <laughs> so when I'm in a church, it's, it's not as good, you know? But you lose diction yeah, in, in a church. And so much of comedy has to do with language, you know, with the language being funny. Even if you don't understand the language, you listen to like, a Rossini, you know, patter aria, you know, and it's hilarious. And you know that it's really difficult for the singer to be doing this, but it's like virtuosic, but it's funny, you know, and you lose stuff like that when, when it's echoey, you know? I mean, the other problem, of course, in a church is the the sight lines just tend to be dreadful because the audience is all at one level. And perhaps the singers are elevated like up on the altar, but you can never get away from the sense that like, you really shouldn't be there. Like you're like, you don't want to make a mess. Yeah, you know, and well, I have to, I'm going to give credit to myself here. <laughs> I produced a show in a church that was what a tenor. Yeah, <laughs> we actually put the audience in the up like on the altar, and we took out the first couple of rows of pews that we made the audience up, and they could look down onto our our acting. How big um, was your altar? It's pretty big. Yeah, we had I think like sixty people up on there. So. Where was this? Uh, church of the Advent in Logan Square. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, they're really nice over there. I think they might still be up for people performing there. Except our our piece had a lot to do with death, so it worked out okay being in the church. So it wasn't funny. 
And so in, in the Chicago landscape, it seems to me that, you know, Lyric Opera is at the top of the tree and obviously it will always be there. COT, Chicago Opera Theater, has been smart enough to program stuff that complements the lyric season that mm-hmm. in general happens at a different time, uh, the season opener notwithstanding. Uh, and then there's a pretty big gap, perhaps, between Chicago Opera Theater and then this, let's say there's a half a dozen, you know, storefront opera companies or micro opera companies. Yeah, I mean, uh, Haymarket Opera is doing an amazing job in a tiny, tiny space up in Rogers Park. Uh, and they have a very clear mission. They want to do 17th century and 18th century, uh, early 18th century opera, Handel and whatnot. And they have like the perfect band uh, led by, uh, you know, this pickup broke orchestra and one of the most, you know, talented local uh, continual players who's directing Craig Trumpeter. And they have a costume designer who's amazing. She is the assistant costume designer at Boston Early Music Festival and their stage director. They lucked out. Uh, she just completed her education in Germany, studying Baroque gesture and Baroque dance. And so it, it all works so well. And today is the last day of their current show, a Handel Opera. Um, so there's groups like that. There's Chicago Chamber Opera, Opera Chamber, Chamber of Chamber, of Opera Chamber, Chamber, Chamber of, of Secrets. Yeah, <laughs> um, and they have a lot of money. Um, it's one of these welcome, um, companies that you know the the general director, the artistic director, is just independently wealthy. And I, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, you know, but that's the truth. What's that like? <laughs> and she's able to just spend money on things. And she's even, you know, put taken her show on, tour, show on tour in England and her whole cast. I mean, she can afford to fly whatever, 30 wow. people to Europe, you know, and, and house them. So Does she want to maybe pay my rent? <laughs> Do you think? And then there are the smaller companies. I think Chicago Fringe Opera is on the next tier. Um, I remember that um, Kodrut um, was doing this uh, concert opera in Edgebrook? Yeah, Edgebrook Lutheran. Yeah, with orchestra, which I thought was great because it gave singers a chance to sing with an orchestra, which is a big thing. Singing with, an, with a piano and singing with an orchestra, it's a huge, huge difference. And so many singers don't get that experience and they need that experience. And I was really um, impressed with uh, Kodrut's group for doing that. But what he, show did you see? I saw... Marriage uh, of Figaro? I saw, uh, what's this called? Abduction from Australia? Oh, right, right, right. And something else, I forget now. Um, I wanted to see Figaro because um, they did one in the summer where my friend yeah. countertenor was singing Carabino, Paul Bork. Yes, and, okay. yeah, Paul Bork is now in London. Yeah, but um, no, so Chicago Fringe Opera has great costumes and, and really clever ideas, and their website is really sexy. I have to give credit to the website. Jenny. Yeah. But um, but you're but they're still using piano slash keyboards, you know. Not for long. Of various quality. <laughs> Not for long, Oliver. There was a huge disparity in the quality, certainly yeah. for Turn of the Screw and, and all those different pianos and those keyboards. And it was yeah. it was one of the compromises, I think, of that show happening in this uh, sort of immersive way. Yeah. Right. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the uh, what the next. Um, <laughs> step is going to be uh, for that company and for all these companies. We're going to step aside for one second. Uh, definitely keep it right here. WNUR 89.3 FM TKO is coming up next. TKO on the OBS. Opera box score. George Cedarquist here with Giovanna Jacques. You're the GC. 
I you, am. You don't like that, do you? I am. I'm no. the OC, <laughs> he so. looked at me. I think, I think he thought that that was me. I, when you said G, I'm the GJ. I, I, you, yeah, G- you're the GJ. Yeah. That's confusing in French. Wait, how do we spell yeah, I know. Giacchino? I can't. I can't tell you how many times in my current job people refer to me as Mr. Jacques or like <laughs> Mr. Giovanna, yeah. and they'll be like, "Oh, hi, uh, may I call you Jacques?" And I'm like, "No, actually, you can't because it's Giovanna." Just don't call me Giovanni. Okay, rant over. Sorry. Let's this, get on with that's this. That's the most bizarre thing I think I've ever heard you say. What? That story. Oh, about this story right now? Jacques. Really? You oh, think yeah. that's story. the most bizarre thing I've ever told you? <laughs> so here's think the back, setup. George. For, for TKO, we take two opera singers and we put them in a steel cage death match. Filled with pudding? Filled with mud. Uh. Uh, maybe they're even wearing Mexican wrestling masks. Hey, don't make it racist. Um, <laughs> and... We try and advocate for a singer's. Oliver, we're going to give you one singer. I'll advocate for the other singer. And Giovanna is going to pick a winner. Uh, so tell us who's in the ring tonight. Today, we have Renee Fleming and Nathalie Dussé. Who's that? <laughs> My money is on Natalie Dussé. Um, you know, she, when she uh, did this uh, Handel opera, the Julius Caesar that they broadcast, they would interview her. Uh, after uh, you know, after each act, and she would come out and say, "I'm doing yoga every day," and she would like make a muscle, and you know, she's definitely very strong. And if you saw the Traviata HD broadcast, I kept looking at all of her ripped arms, like she's ripped. So let's yeah. mention to the audience that might be tuning in for the first time: this mm-hmm. is not to do with vocal prowess, but simply with physical <laughs> prowess. Would Natalie to say? Or Renee Fleming win if they were in a fist and, fight. And I think that she's wily and she's got those crazy eyes, you know. Mm-hmm. And she'd like scurry around the stage like fast color to her, you know. And sure. then she would like go in for the kill, you know, and like jump on Renee Fleming's like neck and like start, you know, twisting her. You know, what do you I don't know what that move is? Like where you, you put your hips around somebody's head oh, and yeah, you, yeah. Like a the hip pile walk driver or, or driver. Or haymaker. <laughs> Half Nelson. Yeah. What? We need to watch more like WWF. <laughs> this is a sports podcast, I thought. <laughs> you should know these terms. Look, re- wrestling is not a sport. Wrestling oh. wrestling is a ballet. George, it's we just lost beautiful, like, it's the most beautiful like, sport. 35 mm. audience members. Well, you know, I've met Natalie say, and Oliver's absolutely right. I mean, she is extremely like lithe and wiry and and compact in a way but i've also met renee fleming and look i'm telling you at 59 weighing in at 180 there is no reason that she would ever give in to natalie to say she would get into that ring and she would she would sit on natalie i think she would use her rolex or something like that uh or her perfume is she a perfume now too you know like i like like a little secret compartment coming out of her wrist like spider-man you're spraying in her eyes that's that's dirty play yeah that is dirty right there yeah she would do a lot of swooping. The other thing is she has such a crew. I feel that like a joke. She, she would use <laughs> she would use a, some sort of a tag team. You know, see, she's so up uh, the ladder, uh, high up on the tree at Lyric Opera. Yeah, she'd have her assistant fight now. Exactly. <laughs> she, she'd, she'd tag team with uh, Anthony Freud. You know, mm-hmm. she, she was like being pinned down by Natalie. And all of Lyric Unlimited would be there. So. Exactly. And that yeah. whole crew would, would tag out and they would all get into the ring and it would just be poor little Natalie and it would, it would be a massacre. Hmm. But we have other French people that can help Natalie out, like Stéphane Degou, my husband. Oh, I thought you were going to say like Giovanna Jacques. I was going to be like, <laughs> oh, ain't nobody putting me in that ring. But what about Mr. Jacques? Uh, neither. <laughs> He's, All right, so also you're the referee, Giovanna. What's going to happen here? You so. know what, Oliver? I want to be on your side. Uh, I really do. Uh, 
And I I'm, thank you for bringing those chocolate-covered almonds. <laughs> but I'm going to go with George because I uh. think George is right. I think Nathalie is, is so quick, but I think she'd get so tired because I think Renee would just be able to take blow after blow after blow. And then she'd be like, you know what, Natalie? I'm done. And she'd pick her up and throw her. And then Natalie would be done. But I really did like your very graphic explanation of the hip lock. Hey, yeah. Yeah. The the hips between the head. Yeah. Yeah. That thing. Um, so George, I think you win the prize of my all consuming love. I won the quiz and you won the, the, uh, cage match. That's exactly right. Pudding. What do I win? Well, you get the the participation award <laughs> for Thanks, reading the questions so beautifully. You're a woman, so whatever you win, it's like eighty five percent of what we win. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about that, Oliver. <laughs> we are, you outside in ten minutes. <laughs> we are coming back in a minute with uh, part two of Chalk Talk. We're talking about um, the operas of Alban Berg, and there's a trend that is happening with producing these operas. We're going to look at the stats, and we're going to figure out why it's going on. Stick around. WNUR, 89.3 FM, Opera Box Score. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score with George Tobias. And Giovanna. Thank you so much for keeping it right here. WNUR 89.3 FM. This is George Cedarquist along with the lovely Giovanna Jacques. Mm. Oh, Giovanna's lovely. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and the equally lovely <laughs> Oliver you. Camacho. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, so, Chalk Talk Part 2, I'm going to set it up and I'll let my colleagues knock it down here. So, as I said in the intro, I noticed that last week we had two opening nights of the two operas that Alban Berg wrote. Uh, the first one uh, that was composed was Vatsak from 1925. And that is being done at Lyric Opera of Chicago uh, right now. I'm going on Monday with my dad, and I mm. can't wait. The other opera is at the Metropolitan. It's a great opera to see with your dad. Yeah, I mean, he, he <laughs> does this um, a couple times a year, actually. No. is uh, He buys two tickets to Lyric, and it's just... It's father and son, and like we have dinner beforehand, and we go see the show. And, and you see things like Electra and like Lady Macbeth of Macbeth of Miss Densk and let it be noted that George's dad is also one of the nicest and coolest human beings I've yeah. ever met. He actually is, both of his parents. He's like the the perfect date for the what, opera. What is, is a good like father son opera? That's a good question. Like not not your father, but like general. Like if you're going to take your son to see an opera and you want to like have them feel the feels. Well, the first show that I took my son to see was The Magic Flute. Um, I Love mean, we, we only stayed through the first act. Mm. Uh, and after that, he got, he kind of w- waned a little bit and, and mm. got a little tired. Um, but then we went back the next show. This is when I was at Pittsburgh Opera. Uh, the next show of the season was Aida. Oh. And we made it through the triumphal march of that as well. Oh. And, and then it was, you know, bedtime. She didn't get to see Amonazaro cursing his daughter. You're not my daughter. You're the slave of the pharaoh. Oh, right. In Act 3. Yeah. 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 And we <laughs> didn't, didn't quite make it that far. Um, so then Lulu is being done at uh, the Metropolitan Opera. That's uh, Berg's per, um, 1937 work. And if you look at the statistics... Uh, Look at this look at this pattern. So in the 2013 season, internationally, there were four productions of Vatsek and one of Lulu. The following season, 2014, there was 
four productions of Otsak, and four of Lulu. And then this season, nine productions of Otsak, three of Lulu, and then next season already, we know that at least one production of Lulu is on the books. Again, this is internationally. But the question to you two is, clearly there is a trend happening here that this man wrote two operas. They're important works of the canon, but they're being performed more and more. Why is that? Is this a trend that's going to continue, or is this some sort of a fad? Do you have a thought, Giovanna? I want to pass over to you kind first. Kind of, yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, opera opera is changing, and it's reaching different people. And I think the people that are now interested in opera are people who are really interested in opera. It's not so much anymore about going to the opera and getting dressed up and seeing The Marriage of Figaro and going with a date and showing them how cultivated you are because you took them to the opera. Now it's about, oh, let me go listen to someone, Alban Berg, who wrote some really freaking cool music and who is really it's like it's like going to moma as opposed to going to a really like impressionist art exhibit you know so i think maybe that's why it's kind of the trendy thing to do now to go see an opera that's a little more complicated in terms of actual sitting and listening but that's just the first thing that comes to my mind um what do you think oliver i mean i think in general the trend is for companies to be producing early and modern works and the standard canon is kind of you know, it's still there, obviously, but companies are trying to figure out how they're going to survive and how they're going to draw new audiences. And it is by exploring the other ends of the repertoire. And I just think that, I mean, your statistics are really impressive, but I think it's just we're in this cycle now where all these GDs are trying to figure out what 20th century operas or what 21st century operas we can produce uh, and people will come to see. And we all know that, like, Jake Heggie seems to have the formula down, but there's only so many Deadman Walkies you can produce, you know. And so we get maybe some Carla Floyd, and then it comes back circ- into a circle to the early 20th century. And now we're, you know, in this era of Berg. Um, and it's, you know, it's a great story. Um, and the music is not my favorite, but it's definitely very dramatic and intense. And I could see why orchestras, especially uh, opera companies with great orchestras, want to perform this because it's a lot of score to dig your teeth into. Whereas something like Jake Heggie or um, Ricky and Gordon, as much as I like both of these guys a lot, like they're not as, uh, you know, it's not as complicated for the orchestra or for the conductor, you know. I also feel like Berg was a little bit more of a, of a, of a beacon in his time, you know, a little bit more of a pioneer than maybe... Peggy is. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but and I, in studying Berg in school, it was he had a lot more laurels of, of uh, new ways of approaching theory and new ways of approaching. Yeah, did he did he invent twelve tone? I forget. Like, That's Schoenberg. Okay. <clears throat> Whoops. <laughs> I knew That's there was okay. something Berg in there. Yeah. Uh, no, next, but, but next time we'll do the quiz on Schoenberg. What about you, George Cedarquist? What do you have to say about all of this? Well, I, you know, looking at the stats, they're a little misleading, I suppose, because, again, we're looking at international productions. What always surprises me is that two parts. First of all, the music for these shows is actually quite complex, I think. We just talked about 12-ton music. I mean, that's hard to listen to. Secondly, these works are both in German, and, I mean, that is a language that in this country just is not programmed that much. Uh, I I think that's problematic. That's a whole nother show. So when you look at the stats, a lot of these productions are being done in German-speaking Europe, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, so it makes a little more sense. What I think is also interesting is that uh, both these productions are coming up on anniversaries. Uh, Wozzeck, written in 1925, so this is the 90th year. 
Lulu from 37 is coming up on the 80th anniversary. I mean, I, that's not been in the promotional materials for these opera companies, but there's always that sort of tie-in. Ultimately, you know, good art is always about the present moment, and there's something about these stories. Um, the story of Vatsek, the the soldier who essentially suffers from PTSD and uh, loses his wife, kills his child, uh, becomes a subject for medical experiment from this crazy doctor, is conscripted into the army. The story is utterly insane. But, but I mean, also very relevant to today's time. Well, there's no question that it is. Absolutely. Um, Lulu is also this bizarre sort of the rise to fame and fortune of this woman who kind of plows through three different husbands, rises to the top of society only to become a prostitute. She's idolized by visual artists, and then she is basically thrown to the wayside. And there's this bizarre theme there of of sort of... Kind of an Nicole Kardashian type yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah It's exactly actually my right. autobiography, yes. <laughs> I didn't want to tell you, but what, I, am, I am Lulu. Lulu is my story. I am Lulu. <laughs> Just Lulu. Just <laughs> Lulu. Um, so I mean, again, I, I mean, I think the stories of both of these are—they're gritty, and I love looking at the types of TV shows that are coming out now. Um, there's always this very gritty edge to a lot of those, and there's a very small leap in a way be- between those types of TV shows on, say, Showtime, HBO. I have to say, there's not enough lesbianism in opera. And Lulu has has some lesbianism in it. We get plenty of gay wads, but not enough lesbians. So, <laughs> Oliver I say Camacho, everyone. W- you, should I say gay probably lord not. instead? Like, <laughs> uh, you should probably just stop while you're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I thought you, you remember that show Numbers? It was I never saw, but it was like on yes, CBS, and like I it was like do, some. It, it lasted like a season and a half. Yeah, some brainy guy just down. like sees like all the. For Math- sure. mathematics and everything mm-hmm. and predicts crime. I thought you were going that way, George. I thought you were looking at the stats. It's like, I know the answer to this question. It's b- math. <laughs> right, exactly. If only. If only. Virginia I- Chang? Yeah. Are you in the room? Yeah. Can we get her agent on the phone and get, get her in? Seriously. She- I'll, I'll make some calls. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing... Um, Are we taking some calls, by the sec. way? Yeah, well, hopefully okay. we're hopefully we're gonna get some callers okay. in our remaining ten minutes. If not, definitely keep it right here. We are gonna wrap this up pretty soon. We got one more segment to go. It's called Good Call, Bad Call. We talk about the best and the worst of the week in opera. Stick around. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist. Tobias Wright and Giovanna Jacques. Welcome back to Opera Box Score, WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. It's Chicago's sound experiment, and this is Opera Box Score. Oliver Camacho live mm-hmm. in studio with us today. Great to have you here. Thanks. And uh, we're going to let you kick it off this time. Uh, so... Yeah. Good call, bad call. You know, what's what's your take on the past couple weeks in opera? Well, you know, I'm usually not one to edit myself uh, on my own show uh, because I just want to keep it real all the time. But I suddenly feel very self-conscious about bad calling something. But I'll say just in a very vague sort of way that uh, there's a very big Midwestern opera company that put on a big opera, or not maybe a big opera, but a fairy tale opera, maybe the composer we talked about earlier today, and uh, the person who's supposed to really like be the show uh, was really lacking. Supporting cast was amazing, but like 
the heart of the show just technically was not there, and it was a big disappointment. But good call. Uh, Haymarket Opera's uh, Amadigi de Gaula, like I said uh, earlier today, uh, amazing costumes, uh, detailed costumes, really clever use of a small space, beautiful playing by uh, an early music band, uh, singing at a level that was very high. Handel is hard, and I think people think Handel is not, but it's actually really hard. And to, to have eight arias and to have a different affectation for each aria and to have all those coloratura licks and then ornaments on top of that, you know, it's a lot of singing. And uh, this cast is only, there's only four singers in this show and it's a three-hour show. So imagine how much of that, you know, belongs to you if you're one-fourth of a three-hour show. And uh, they pulled it off and uh, it was a real spectacle and I was delighted while I was watching it. That's fantastic. That's I, really cool. I really want to see it, and it's gone, and I missed it, and, yep. and I'm totally, totally bummed. Uh, I got a bad call this week. Uh, English National Opera in London is in a huge, dire circumstance. They've had changes over in management, and the most recent addition to their roster is their chief ex- executive, who's a woman called Cressida Pollock. Now, get this. She was a former management consultant for McKinsey, and she has brought the sort of business speak over to ENO. And so now some of the quotes that you can find she said about their programming is this, is that she talks about updating the brand of ENO, and she talks about engaging with stakeholders, which presumably she means audience members. Oh, I thought some mediators were talking about. So. <laughs> and... And this is what she told uh, potential opera goers last week. She said, I'm quoting here, We have been looking at how we express the ENO brand, whether through the way that we look and the way that we write and speak, and also through our culture and the way we behave. Now, if that means anything at all, I would love to have you call into the show, because to me, that is the sort of empty management that uh, is not has no sort of purpose. It looks like we have a call. All right. Well, I'm going to, how do we answer it? (laughs) I'll I'll take care of it when I throw it over to Giovanna for her (laughs) good call. I would, I would, I will distract everyone. Um, I have an interesting bad call that actually doesn't really have much to do with opera, but rather I, I started getting interested this week in um, Oliver, it looks like I'm just talking to you now. And, um, the worst national anthem performances and sports shows. Now I have, um, I've always taken such great amusement at the, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> oh, oh, say, can you see the It's awful. And I was looking through YouTube, which is a great source, uh, for the worst national, national anthem performances and Scott Stapp from the band Creed was actually voted the worst national anthem. But I actually disagree. Um, His was in tune somewhat. And that's really impressive compared to some of the other ones that I listened to. The worst I heard was Victoria Zarlenga. And she was the most out of tune in the world. And it was at the uh, USA versus Scotland soccer match. And she sounded like she was about to rip her vocal cords and probably have some kind of hernia, which was bad. Um, so that's that's my bad call, which is that if you can't sing the national anthem, don't sing the national anthem. And don't make it fancy, because it's great the way it is. Um, 
so that's that's all I have to say about that. Um, are we taking in a caller? I think we are taking a caller. Oh, wow, it's, I don't think that. you guys have ever done this before. So there's like some. Would uh, you like to point that out a little <laughs> more obviously, Oliver? Would you like to throw us under the bus some more? Please do. I'm so glad that when, you just when Opera Now did, that. did a live call-in show. I think we ended up calling people. <laughs> like, Did you? Like, we weren't prank calling them, but like we called one of our listeners in Venice, and it was like at three o'clock in the morning. That's hilarious. But he got up and he answered the phone, which was quite nice. So, okay. That's amazing. So, um, I think we will be having a, a caller call in soon. Is that true? Okay. Yeah. In the meantime. Um. Anyhow. Well, in the meantime, Oliver, I want you to uh, give us your little um, your promo line. Oh. All right. Come over to my monitor over yeah, here. I, to to have it, I have it all okay. written down. Yeah, here we go. Hi, this is Oliver Camacho, and you're listening to Opera Box Score, the show that made opera adorkable again. <laughs> Fantastic. I, uh, I appreciate it. We're going to use that in our promotional material. Thanks. You should get Marilyn Horn to say it. Yes. How how did that come about on the Opera We were now guests podcast? of Music Academy of the West last summer, and uh, she... Agreed to uh, having saying a little promo into Michael's phone. So we had Lauren Mazel do our promo before. So uh, we need somebody else who's bigger than Marilyn Horn in the opera community. Hello. Okay, here's our caller. All right, go ahead. You're on Opera Box Score. Hey, this is Anthony from the Bronx. I thought this was a sports show. <laughs> Sorry. Um... I. I... <laughs> I started listening to it because I was a fan of Oliver's, and I thought, hey, I could combine opera and sports. <laughs> let me ask you let me ask you guys a question, George and uh, Jacques. <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal with the Mets? So, do you mean the Metropolitan Opera? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Just sure, kidding. both the Metropolitan Opera and the Metropolitans of Queens. Oh, <laughs> listen, I want to just say that I like this show a lot. Thank you, a Anthony. Lot of people think I listen to, I watch, you know, I watch the Mets, I watch the Rangers, I used to watch the the Islanders, but who knows what's going on with them? But I gotta say. I enjoy what you guys are doing. It's Thank a nice you. combination of two different things because I'm half Italian on one side. So, you know, I don't want to go into it about that. <laughs> which so which I, side? So I grew up. My mama Nooch used to listen to opera all the time. It was always playing when she was making a sauce. So She's I making the Sunday gravy? The the I think she was making the tomato Sunday. sauce. Uh, gravy, sauce, whatever you want to call it. I enjoy it. Hey, look, I enjoy a Tosca. I enjoy a Puccini, of course. Baron Scarpia. Whoa, what a, what a tough guy that guy is. But hey, Berg, Wozzeck, Lulu, whatever you want to call them, I love them all. They're all fantastic. Aww, you're the you. perfect, the you're the perfect listener of this show. I, I love your Monteverdis. <laughs> I love your Ramos. <laughs> We appreciate, guys. appreciate the call very much. Thank you so much. Glad you're listening out there. We are... Oh, cut him off. That was Anthony from the Bronx. I know. <laughs> we have... <laughs> there is the shot clock buzzer. The Queens are out of time on tonight's show. The executive producer for Opera Box Score is Eric Rita, and our in-show announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. 
Right now you're rocking out to the song Vodka Inferno by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. Let us know what you think of the show. OperaBoxScore at gmail.com, at OperaBoxScore on Twitter, OperaBoxScore on Facebook. Thanks so much to our guest, Oliver Camacho, for his time and his talent. Thanks, Oliver. Be sure to check out his podcast, Opera Now. It's available at OperaNowPodcast.com and also on iTunes. Giovanna and I are back on Monday, November 23rd at 8 p.m., 9 Eastern. And Tobias is going to be back from Florida, complete with a beautiful tan. No he doubt. will? Mm, oh, my gosh. Tobias. Plus, Jelly. we'll be giving thanks for all those things in opera that we're grateful for. Do not miss it. Is Tobias single? I'm George Cedarquist saying he is so long until next time. I call it. You're listening to WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment. Giovanna, final thought? I love you both. Hmm. I love you all. Aww. I love the world. <laughs>